Turn with me, please, to the gospel according to Luke. The fourth chapter, the very familiar passage of, of Scripture. And uh, we're going we're gonna to use this as a, as a starting point this morning and, and, and touch on some things. Title of the message this morning is Healing in the Atonement. Healing in the Atonement. Look at, look at Luke chapter 4, down at verse number 16. Let's start reading at verse number 16. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was. Isn't that interesting? I just almost have to stop there every time I read that passage. When it was time to go to church, Jesus went. As his custom was, it was his habit. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and sat down and gave it to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began to say to them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Pastor touched last week on the term and the subject of doctrine. Doctrine. He, uh, he mentioned to us that doctrine is a stabilizing force and that when we encounter the struggles of life, that doctrine is what gives us a, a foundation to build on. It gives us something to, to rest on. It gives us something to plant ourselves on and say, I can have faith, I can be stable because this is true. This is true. In our fellowship, we have 16 doctrine that are known as fundamentals. We have the 16 fundamental doctrine of the Assemblies of God. When I was a boy growing up, my, my mother had a, an old paperback book, well used even at that time, that was written by P.C. Nelson, old daddy Nelson, and the title of it was Bible Doctrines. And I, re, I remember that from, from the... Time I was just a just a little guy, little guy. Of these fundamentals, four are considered what are known as cardinal doctrines. Now that doesn't have anything to do with the red bird. I know that's the first thing that came to some of your mind when I talked about cardinal doctrine. Doesn't have any, and it has nothing to do with some other faith. Cardinal doctrine. In, the con in this context, the word cardinal, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, means of basic importance. These are, these are really the four basic doctrine that we build on. In other words, these four doctrine are considered as foundational truths. Let me tell you what they are, what the four are. We're not going to go through all 16 this morning, but we're just going to touch on these four real quick. First of all, 
Every person can have restored fellowship with God through salvation. This is found in accepting forgiveness of our sins provided through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So the first cardinal doctrine is salvation through the blood of Jesus. That's the first one. That's the first one. The second one is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we believe that it is a special experience following salvation that empowers believers for witnessing and effective service. And it's not the same doctrine, but we really need to link the next of the 16 with that. And that is that the initial physical evidence of this baptism with the Holy Spirit is speaking with other tongues. So we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking with other tongues. Second cardinal doctrine. The fourth cardinal, or the third cardinal doctrine is divine healing of the sick is a privilege for Christians today, and it is provided in Christ's sacrificial suffering on the cross. The fourth is the blessed hope. We call that the rapture of the church. But technically, it is the blessed hope. When Jesus raptures his church prior to his return to earth. So that, that's the fourth. Those four things we believe in. Salvation, baptism with the Holy Spirit, divine healing, and the rapture of the church. Those are the four basic cardinal doctrine that we hold in our fellowship. When my mother was a teenager, she traveled with a lady evangelist into the Ozark Mountains to proclaim the full gospel message. And that's, that's, that's what we say this is, full gospel message. It goes, goes beyond salvation to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to healing, the rapture of the church, the full gospel message. Somewhere along the line, they began to sing an old song titled, Seeking for Me. I have never seen the actual music for this song, but as many of will tell you that you can find anything on the internet. And that proved true again this week as I was doing research for this message this morning. And I discovered the, the, the writer of the words was a person known only as A.N., in fact, one of the, the websites that I, I found the words in several places, and depending on where you looked, there was three, four, or five different verses in, in different places. But one of these particular websites said, if anybody knows what this man's name is, would you please tell us? So all that he's known by is A-N. The, the, uh, the music was composed by a fellow by the name of Emerson E. Hasty, and the, the song... The, the first printing of the song apparently was in a, in a gathering of, of uh, gospel songs called Gospel Gems, and it was published in 1878. I, I feel like a little girl. I was talking to her the other day at the bank about how Janice and I had been married 50 years, and she said, that's a long time. Well, 1878, that's a long time. A long time. So this, this song's been, been around a long time. Mother told me that when they traveled with this song, and, and I, she told me this when I was just a, a small child. She said, you know, we added a couple of verses to this song. I didn't know and didn't know which ones. I, I assumed some things. But, but anyway, they took four of the 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 verses that they used in their revival meetings. And, you know, this is one of those things where I look back and I say, I wish I could have been there. 
Because mom told me about revivals in schoolhouses down in, in the Ozarks. And they said the crowds were so big that people filled up the, the schoolhouse and then they opened the windows. Of course, they didn't have any air conditioning. But they opened the windows and people stood around on the outside. And there was an old brother that mom and dad went, took, took Don and, and me uh, one summer and we went and had vacation with these folks. And, and this brother took a hat and walked outside of the building and took offering from the people that were standing at the windows. And, and, and I look back and I think, I just wish I could have seen that. What an experience that would have been. But, but four of these verses kind of are underpinnings of these four cardinal doctrine. Let me, let me share with you as a poem the words of the song this morning. Jesus, my Savior, to Bethlehem came, born in a manger to sorrow and shame. Oh, it is wonderful. Blessed be his name. He was seeking for me, for me. Jesus, my Savior, the baptizer came. He brought the Spirit through prayer in his name. Through tongues of fire, my soul set aflame. He was speaking through me, through me. Jesus, my Savior, the great healer came. He brought relief to the sick and the lame. Oh, it is wonderful. He has not changed. And there's healing for me, for me. Jesus, my Savior, shall come from on high. Sweet as the promise as weary years fly. Soon I shall see him descend from the sky. He'll be coming for me, for me. I loved those words as a child. I love them now. They're very meaningful. In this message, we're going to discuss healing in the atonement. But I want to use a very broad brush. We're not just going to talk about physical healing. I want to use a very broad brush and discuss several things that can be healed through the power of the gospel. I want you to understand that when we consider the healing power of the gospel, we find wonderful hope. Hope. It was interesting as I pulled into the, uh, the church this morning and noticed on the, on the sign out in front, one of the sayings that came up was, hope is the product of faith. I don't know whether you saw that or not, but hope is the product of faith. And we, when we talk about the healing of the gospel, we find that there is wonderful hope. Through the healing power of the gospel, there is hope for hearts that are sin sick. There is hope for relationships that are severed. There is hope for ethnicities that are segregated. There is hope for bodies that are stricken. So there is hope. There is hope, first of all, for the heart that is sin-sick. Let me tell you that, that this term, sin-sick, it's like some other terms that we, we use. They're not scriptural terms. You know, we talk about Sunday school, uh, those of us that are old enough to remember Sunday school, okay? We talk about Sunday school is not scriptural, but studying the Word of God is scriptural. So Sunday school is not scriptural. Uh, the rapture of the church, the, rapture, the term rapture is not a scriptural term. But it's a scriptural concept because it means to be caught up, to be caught away. And when the rapture takes place, the Lord's going to catch us up, catch us away. Sin sick is not a scriptural term, but it adequately describes the condition of the person struggling under the penalty of sin. You may not know the name, but there is an associate evangelist with Ravi Zacharias by the name of Stuart McAllister who penned, as the African spiritual, there is a balm in Gilead, so beautifully puts it, How lost was my condition, till Jesus made me whole. There is but one physician, 
can cure a sin-sick soul. You will know the name John Newton. Most of you anyway. John Newton was the composer of Amazing Grace. And he also compiled a, a, a group of, of hymns in a, in a volume called the Alney Hymns. In that collection of hymns, he included this hymn, There is a Balm in Gilead. How lost was my condition till Jesus made me whole. There is but one physician can cure a sin-sick soul. In scripture, the dread malady of leprosy is considered a symbol of sin. I, uh, I remember as a boy seeing pictures where missionaries came back from the field and they had, some had been missionaries to the leper colony in Liberia. And they came back with pictures of people with leprosy who had lost fingers and, and, and lost hands and lost feet, maybe lost a nose, maybe lost an ear because leprosy had, had eaten away at these parts of their body until they were gone. You see, leprosy eats away at the lives of those who contract it even as sin gnaws progressively into the soul of the person who has not accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. The sin-sick soul. But as there was hope for the repentant thief hanging next to Jesus on the cross, there is hope today for every lost soul. Peter declared on the day of Pentecost, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts chapter 2, verse number 21. And that whosoever promise is still effective today. Whosoever. I look around this morning and, and I know most of you, and I know most of you are living for the Lord. Maybe all of you are living for the Lord, but if you're not, you're part of the whosoever. And the Lord says, if you'll come to him today, he'll forgive you. He will redeem the sin-sick soul. So there is hope for the sin-sick soul. And secondly, there is hope for relationships that are severed. It's not pleasant, but in most of our lives from one time or another, you have relationships with friends or relationships with relatives that somehow become estranged. I, uh, I have somebody tell me, People tell me just every once in a while, you know, I haven't, haven't heard from a son, haven't heard from a daughter. Don't see my son or daughter very often. They maybe live in the same town or in the same area, but, but I, don't, I don't hear from them very often. There's, there's an estrangement there. There's a relationship that is severed there. You see, the possibilities of who this might be with or how it may have happened are so numerous that, that I'm not even going to attempt to go into that this morning. But I want to tell you that, that the gospel, in this broad brush of healing, the gospel gives hope for restoration of relationships that are severed. There's hope. There's hope. The 15th chapter of the gospel of Luke, we read the parable of the, uh, of the prodigal son. Now I know, I understand that, that the message of the prodigal is, is the message of how God receives the person that comes back to them. 
and, and how that he, he forgives and, and redeems. And he'll take those that have gone into the filth of sin. If you'll come back, God will, God will save you. God will forgive you. But it's also the picture of a father that says, you can't do anything to make me not love you. I don't know what you told your children, but, but I've told both of my girls, I love you so much you can't do anything to make me not love you. You can't do anything to make God not love you. God loves you. God loves you. See? And all Christian parents seem to, I think, fall into kind of this, this same category that, you know, we just love our kids and you, I'm, I'm going to love you no matter what. I don't care what you do. I'm, you know, my kids do things at times I think, what in the world are you thinking? Do your kids do that? Patsy, does Dave do that? Everyone's, what are you thinking, Dave? But Patsy still loves you. <laughs> you have to work at it, don't you, Nina? You have to work at it. But we, we love our kids. You see, there's another scriptural in, incident that demonstrates this restorative hope, and that's the story of Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. Paul and Barnabas were, were great friends. You know, when, when Paul came to Jerusalem the first time, the church wouldn't have anything to do with him because they were afraid of him. And Barnabas went, Barnabas went out and he kind of threw his arms around him and found out what he was really all about. And he brought him in and, and he introduced him to everybody at the church. And, and he said, hey, this guy's for real. This guy's for real. When Barnabas went down to Antioch of Syria and he needed help teaching the people down there, he went over into Tarsus where Paul was and he, he, he brought him back with him because, Saul at that time, but he, he brought him back with him and, and because they were close in, in fellowship, but they were also great, great teachers of, of Scripture and teachers of the truth of the gospel. And, 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 and they, they got together in, at the church at Antioch and, and the Spirit spoke to him and said, Go out and, and preach the gospel all over the world. And so they, they took their first missionary trip. And on that first missionary trip, they took a young man by the name of John Mark. Barnabas was his uncle. John Mark was the nephew of this great apostle of the faith, Barnabas. Something happened along the way, and Mark said, I'm going home. And now, I, I don't know why. Scripture doesn't tell us why. There are some people that speculate, I think maybe he just was hungry for mom's cooking. I don't know. He was homesick. Or maybe he was scared. You know, let me tell you something. Being on the mission field with Paul and Barnabas was not a picnic. Maybe he was scared. I, I don't know. I don't know what it was. But finally, they moved from the first place they went, and when they moved in one direction... John Mark said, I'm going back to Jerusalem. I'm going back home. I'm going back to Mama. So when they were preparing for their second missionary trip, Barnabas said to Paul, let's take John Mark again. Let's give him another chance. And Paul said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Look at, look at Acts chapter 15, verse number 39. It says, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder. Boy, that's a radical word. They departed asunder, one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and we know that Paul took Silas and went on his way. You see, the Strong's Concordance says that this term sharp means a dispute in anger. Man, 
They said ugly things to one another. It was a dispute in anger. When I get mad at Janice, sometimes I say things that I have to go back and grovel. Now, she never talks to me like that. But I have to grovel at times because I say things I don't really mean. Gerald, you understand that. Not very much. That's because she's so much bigger than you are. <laughs> you see, what bitterness and hurt there must have been in this separation between these two men that had been great friends. And we never read again of Paul and Barnabas together. Do you realize that? We never read again of Paul and Barnabas together. But somewhere, somehow, there must have been reconciliation. There must have been reconciliation. You know, these were Christian brothers, men of devotion and godly character. And they could not have stayed, listen to me, they could not have stayed in God's will without surrendering to forgiving one another and putting the past behind them. Couldn't have. Couldn't have. You see, and we know that this had to happen someplace because Paul says to Timothy, his young protege, when he appeals to, to, when he appeals to him in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 11, he appeals to him to come and visit him in prison. He says to him, take Mark, John Mark, take Mark, bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. It's the same John Mark that left him on the first missionary trip, but it's also the same Mark whose gospel bears his name. So I will tell you this morning, there is healing in the gospel message that brings hope of reconciled relationships. So there is hope for the sin-sick soul. There is hope for relationships that are severed. And, and there is hope for ethnicities that are segregated. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be real trans, transparent at this point. I almost didn't talk about this. I thought, Lord, I don't think I want to talk about this. And I just couldn't get away from it. Let me tell you something. John tells us that the everlasting gospel was preached to every nation and kindred and tongue and people in Revelation 14.6. Every nation, every kindred, every tongue, every people. The everlasting gospel is to all people. In Acts chapter 11 verses 19 and 20. And then again down in chapter 13 verse number 1. It tells us that the church at Antioch in Syria was a multi-ethnic congregation. And it included a man by the name of Simeon that was called Niger. Scholars tell us that this Simeon is probably Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Jesus as recorded in the 27th chapter and the 32nd verse of the book of Matthew. Simon of Cyrene. And it calls him Simeon, that is called Niger. And Niger, from the Greek, literally from Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, says Niger is literally black. So the church at Antioch of Syria was not only a church of mixed ethnicities, but it was also a church of mixed colors. It wasn't just the white folk. But the black folk were there 
as well. And, and we know that it wasn't just Simeon or Simon, but also family was involved because later on you read about Alexander and Rufus who were his sons. So they were in this church at Antioch of Syria. You see, God spoke directly to Peter when sending him to the Gentiles of the house of Cornelius, and he said, if God has cleansed it, don't call it common. If God accepts them, don't call it plain. Don't call it unclean. Don't call it common. That's in Acts chapter 10, verse number 15. You see, in the day and the time that we are living in today, there seems to be an increase of racial tensions. Jews and whites and blacks and American Indians and Muslims, etc., etc., etc. But let me tell you something. The, the church, the church universal, must not be part of this. We must not be part of this. We with open arms must reach out and embrace all people with the healing message of the gospel and include those who name the name of Jesus. So in the gospel, there is healing for ethnicities that are segregated. So there is hope for the sin-sick soul. There is hope for relationships that are severed. There is hope for ethnicities that are segregated. And there is hope for the individual that is stricken. Isaiah 53, chapter 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Peter reinforces this in in 1 Peter 2, verse number 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. You see, there is healing for the person that's lost. There is healing for the relationship that has been severed. There are healing for racial tensions, but there are healing for sick bodies. There's healing for sick bodies. There still is healing for sick bodies. There are a lot of testimonies of healings in the Gospels. But after you leave the Gospels, we don't read a lot about healing testimonies. But we know that healings had to be asked for. We know they did. Because in the 12th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, when Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, three different times he mentions the gift of healing or the gifts of healing. We also read from James, the half-brother of Jesus. I don't know whether you realize this or not. James was the half-brother of Jesus. But the book of James is also considered to be the oldest of all of the books of the New Testament. So it was very early on. It was the, the very first of all of the books of the canon of the New Testament. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, and the pastor of the first church of Jerusalem, counsels, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. The prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. You often hear pastor encouraging us to call the names of those that need healing. Some of you that are here this morning, I call your name regularly. 
I ask the Lord to touch you, to touch your family, to touch the one that's sick, to touch your grieving heart. Some of you are grieving because I still believe that there's healing in the atonement. There's healing in the atonement. You see, God is still the God of healing. You can pray for healing. You can believe for healing, and you can have healing. This subject, when you go to talk about healing, this subject stimulates a lot of questions. Questions we don't have time to deal with this morning. But only know that the scripture says that there is healing for those that that have faith and pray for it, believe for it, ask for it. You see, our pastor and our staff want to encourage you to ask for and to believe for your healing and the healing of others. We go to the hospitals and we make calls at the hospital. We pray for people at the hospital. I went to the hospital the other day and met a man, met a man that isn't part of our congregation. And I, I said to him, uh, I'd like to pray with you. And he said, oh, let's save that for later. Okay. That's your choice. But our congregation, when I meet our people, I say, let's pray. Pray, Pastor. Pray, Pastor. We want prayer. We want prayer. So what are the takeaways? Could, could we have the musicians come and get ready to lead and worship here in a minute? What are the takeaways of this message? There's only one today. Let me, it's kind of extended, but let me give you this one, this one takeaway this morning. There is, all, there is hope for all things broken that need healing. You hear me? There is hope for all things that are broken and need healing. There is hope for the life that is broken by sin. There is hope for the relationships that are broken by circumstance. And there is hope for cultures that are broken by prejudice. And there is hope for the body that is broken by sickness or injury.